0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,304. Most of the time when you look around and you see the the people who are best at what they do, it's because they show up every day and they work at it.
1: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Yeah. Hello automotive enthusiasts! I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from Bay Village, Ohio, John Neff. Hey John, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yeah, let's rock and roll. Alright. John Neff is the global editor-in-chief at Motor One, where they provide automotive news, reviews, features, and a lot more. John is an automotive journalist who has held some of the biggest automotive digital publishing brands on the web. For 10 years, he was editor-in-chief of AOL's car site, Autoblog. And for the last three years, he's been global editor-in-chief of this new automotive news and reviews website called MotorOne.com, which operates 10 editions around the world in nine different languages. So, John, I've told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles? Sure, I'd love to.
0: Um, So, I am as much into cars as I am into car magazines. That's where, where my love of cars kind of started when I was a little kid, I would go to the grocery store with my mom. And at some point it switched from her buying me candy bars to buying me car magazines. (laughs) Um, and I, I, Collected them pretty much throughout all the 90s, um, all of which every issue is still in my garage right now. So yeah, I kind of fell in love with this medium of talking about cars, and it just so happened when when I graduated college, the internet was coming up, and uh, I never dreamed I could write for a car magazine. But once the internet kind of democratized media, it gave me some new opportunities, and I wound up becoming. Uh, Editor in chief of Autoblog, which when it was very small, but it was a good timing, and um, I was there for ten years. And while it grew to become the largest uh, automotive site on the web uh, at the time, and then I sparked off on my own um, in the in the teens. And uh, wound up here at Motor One, where we're doing something similar to Autoblog, but also on a much larger international scale. So I've been doing this for three years, and it's been great. Now we're, we're again, one of the biggest automotive sites in the world. So yeah, and I, and I hope to be doing this for a long time.
1: Well, it's very cool. Obviously, you have a very wise mother where she did something a lot healthier, switched you from candy bars to car magazines, you know, and look where it took it.
0: Maybe, maybe. Although I was um, very hard on my family because I'm I'm such a per- a perfectionist, I wouldn't let anyone damage the car magazines. Uh. So if somebody set a glass on one or a beer bottle, <laughs> uh, they, I like they would hear it from me, even though I was the youngest person in the house. Uh, so I I think I was quite a bear to live with throughout all those years because of that. But you're right, better than better than candy bars.
1: Yeah, I think so. Very cool. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been inspirational and informative for you. Informing your success, I should say, it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, John, grab the wheel.
0: Yeah. So I don't have a saying so much as as a couple of words, which are um, attitude and consistency. Mm. Uh, I think for me, and I, I, my, a lot of my job is managing other people and managing kind of an organization. And to me, attitude is as much, if not more important than talent, which, which might sound weird, but I would much rather work with someone who, who isn't the best writer, but who has a great attitude than Mm. than the best writer in the world who doesn't have the best attitude. Because I, I, to, to me, you can get farther with with a good attitude um, than you can with just raw talent. Uh, and I also think consistency is important. Um, just showing up to do the work. But not many people in this world are born with just natural, God given talent. And most most of the time, when you look around and you see the the people who are best at what they do, it's because they show up every day and they work at it. Even if they never feel like they're the best, it's just important to them to put in the time. So I've always felt like just consistency, showing up, and, and doing the work is is more important than anything.
1: You know, this is a really common thread, and I see this quite a bit on the people that follow me and social media that are coaches or business coaches, or this day, of course, in social media, everybody's an expert or sure. something, right? And um, it's such a simple thing. Having uh, run a business and managed hundreds of people in the past for me, I would agree with you 100%. Some I'd much rather have an employee that maybe wasn't as good at their task or their skill sets, but had a great attitude and would show up to work on time, which is a simple concept, right? right. But right. it's amazing to me how many times I'd have to sit somebody down and go, you just need to show up, dude. Just yeah. show up. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I used to buy alarm clocks for employees that uh, were not timely. Even if they were managers that would show up late to managers meetings, it would get very frustrating when you're sitting in a room and there's. 10 people in there and you're just counting the dollars that are ticking away, waiting for this one late person, right? And it—I mean, it, especially
0: if you're trying to work your way up in a company, it shows that that you care and you're invested. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you're there on time, or even if you're putting in extra time, but when you show up late or you're inconsistent, it, you know, it, it very clearly communicates that this isn't that important to you. So yeah, as managers, I mean, those are those are just little flags that I think we pick up so quickly and can probably tell very early on whether this is going to work out or not.
1: You know, I thank my late father for this lesson he taught me in life. He grew up on a farm in Texas where. You have to show up because if you don't, the cows will die, the crops will die, and then your family will die. And he used to always say, get to work before the boss and don't leave until the boss leaves, even if you're the guy who sweeps (laughs) the floors. And be consistent and be enthusiastic and uh, good things will happen. So uh, very nicely said. That's
0: exactly what, what my mantra is. It's funny you say that because uh, in the early days of my career, when I was at Autoblog and we would go to auto shows like the Detroit Auto Show or the LA Auto Show, we knew that the, the really big magazines were there like Motor Trend and Car and Driver. And our mantra was to be the first to show up in the media room and be the last to leave. And we wanted the Motor Trends and the Car and Drivers just to know that we were working harder than them. And, and so that was, that was what we lived by
1: psychological warfare. I love it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's go back in time a little bit here and talk about a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were indeed a car guy? Was it at the, the newsstand when you you picked the, the car magazine instead of the candy bar, or did it go further back than that? You know, I, I don't know if they went further
0: back than that, and I don't know what drew me to the car magazines, but I remember this one article that I read in a road and track, and um, I looked it up the other day. It was called um, Smoke and Mirrors, and it was by oh. Kim Reynolds. And the the whole article was about three cars: the Ferrari 512 TR, which was you know a supercar, the Porsche 911, um, which was you know an expensive sports car, and the Toyota Supra, which in the 90s was a very fast car, but it wasn't nearly as expensive as those other three. And the whole article was just about these. It was about the fact that these three cars all had the exact same performance numbers. Functionally, they could all do the same thing. They could all go zero to 60 and 4.7 and they could all have a top speed of of this. But for some reason, they were all wildly different prices, Uh, you know, 40,000, 70,000, 180,000. And the article was kind of exploring what accounts for that difference in price. And, you know, I think that article did two things for me it showed me how interesting cars were as as both products and pieces of art and i think that's what that article was about It was the ferrari was a piece of art and you you that was baked into its value and the but it was also a product and the the supra was more of just a product and I thought that was so interesting how, how cars could be both. But then it also showed me um, how interesting and insightful writing about cars could be. And I think that's where I kind of fell in love with writing about cars.
1: You know, I, I don't remember that story, but I love the concept about it. Because like you, I've been reading car magazines forever. I love the whole concept about it because you're right. People will go to car shows and look at one car and another and say, well, why is that one worth so much more? Well, there's exclusivity. There's also production costs if you've ever been to these factories if you go to a Toyota factory the way they're pumping out cars versus the Ferrari factory or Lamborghini factory or and then you want to go really crazy Pagani or right. you know, any of these that i mean they're hand built back in those days Ferraris were indeed you know hand built cars they are kind of still today although the factory is much more automated mm-hmm. um in, in recent years but and now Toyota's bringing back the Supra, right? Which is kind of right. cool. Right.
0: Well, and it was funny because one, I remember one thing the article said about the Supra, because it was talking about the car designs. And it was saying, when you look at that Supra, which again was the, the, the 90s Supra, the, the design was kind of bland. And, and the, the author wrote about how you can look at the lines and see where someone in a committee raised their eyebrow. And that, li- <laughs> that line got smoothed out. Yeah. And in the Ferrari, it's just, it's one person's vision that's totally pure and unadulterated and as wild as that person wanted it to be. And I think that was true at the time. But you're right. You look at the new Supra that just you know came out and we see all the reviews online right now for it. And that thing looks incredibly wild. So I think times have actually changed since that article was written where even mainstream manufacturers now have have kind of put out these so interesting designs that aren't boring at all, but are but are actually really kind of interesting and wild and and definitely not designed by committee like m- maybe they were in the past.
1: Well, thank goodness! I was just telling somebody the other day is there's so many vanilla cars as I call them. They're just yeah. kind of all the same. There's nothing exciting. We were sitting in a restaurant a few weeks ago watching cars go by, and I was with my daughter and her fiance and my wife, and I was just talking about. I'm sure their eyes were all rolling back in their heads because they're not (laughs) car people. I know that look. Yeah. I'm like, how about an exciting car? When is an exciting car going to drive by? And lo and behold, uh, pull up uh, early 80s uh, Mercedes SL. And I went, now that's an interesting, fun car. Cool, cool car compared to everything. But uh, I'm glad to see that uh, people like Toyota are stretching their bounds. And maybe some of those committee guys or uh, suit guys weren't in the room when they did the final selection. It certainly doesn't seem like they were. Well, I hope not. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a challenge or a failure you faced. And I like this question not so much to bring up maybe some pain in your past. However, it's more about what you learned from that situation, so that perhaps someone out there listening who's going through something similar sees there is a light at the end of the tunnel and there's not a train coming at them. So walk us through that experience. Uh, get kind of personal with us and tell us how. That helped you gain even more momentum as you move forward in your career and your business and your life. Sure, um, I will. I'll, I'll tell you
0: about when I've left jobs, and I, I've left two jobs where I didn't know what I was going to do next, and that's wow. not normally how you should do it. You no, should, that's a you know, brave move. Right? Exactly. And and the only thing I made sure to do, I think, in each case was that I'd, I'd be okay for a little while, like I had, you know, a few months of of runway to figure out what I wanted to do. But uh, in each, like in each case, I'm I'm always very hesitant. To leave a job because I normally like what I do and I like the people. But there's always one thing that starts small and then grows big and big until you just you know don't want to do it anymore. And I remember when I left Autoblog, which was around 2014, and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I got some good advice from my brother, who had given me the same advice about 10 or 11 years earlier. And he told me, just write down Anything that you like doing and it doesn't matter what it sounds like. It doesn't matter if it doesn't sound like a job. Just write down what you like doing. So I would write down everything. I don't know, reading a comic book to, you know, going to see movies or whatever. And then he told me, now look at that and just ask yourself. Um, is there anything you can do here that, that you can turn into a job or, or find a job through? And uh, I actually found one on, on the list that was, and I had written down, I, I really like researching products that I want to buy. Like I spend months researching what I want to buy before I buy it. And that led me to a website called, uh, Wirecutter. Um, which some of your your listeners uh may yeah. know. And it's a great uh, site about and they produce incredibly in depth buying guides about electronics and home goods and things like that. Out of nowhere, I contacted the owner and the founder and said, Hey, have you ever thought about doing anything with cars? And this is my background. And he responded kind of like, maybe, you know, we've thought about it in the past. And I kind of just thought, well, I'm not doing anything right now. So I'm going to write a car guide for this guy in his own form that he's done it for other products, and I'm just going to submit it to him. So I did that. And and when I did that, he was really blown away and surprised that I would go that far. And he saw that I kind of got their vision. Uh, and that turned into my next job. So um, cool. it, it was very cool. And I had even, even gotten some offers to do the same thing I was doing, but I, I really wanted to try something different. So I, I guess this was a, a failure in my sense in that I left and I was incredibly worried and scared. I had no idea what I was going to do next or if you know i would get a job offer for anywhere um and i just went through this process of kind of looking at what i like doing what what my strengths were and you know can i see any pathway through that to and i don't want to make it sound so crass as like a path to making money but is there any way that i can turn one of these things into something i can do for a living
1: well why not
0: yeah, I mean, it is kind of important to make a living. Right, right. And that was like whether it's for someone else or whether I'm going to do it myself and and start something new. So, yeah, Very those cool. are those are really hard times in life, so they're but but I think, you know, you shouldn't be scared. I always like the the saying that you should bet on yourself.
1: Yeah, you know, this is an awesome story for anybody out there that might be going through a similar situation. As you were walking through this, I was smiling to myself because when I left my previous position, and was really trying to figure out where I wanted to go next, I did very much the same thing. I just sit down and started writing ideas out and things like that. And uh, lo and behold, what really led me to podcasting was my son saying, Dad, you've taken me to car shows my whole life. What's the one thing I tease you about? You can't walk by somebody without talking to them about their car and their business. Why don't you do that for a living? I'm like, "Wow, how do you make money doing that? And he goes, well, there's this thing called podcasting. I'm like, really? What's a podcast?" And you start investigating it. And then lo and behold, almost, well, five years later and 1,304 shows later, here we sit. So, yeah, that's amazing. plus, Plus a TV show. So you never know where things will take you. But I think the most important lesson I heard from this is what your wise brother said. And that was write down what you enjoy, think about what you like to do, and then find a way to wrap that into a career and into a life. And I can tell you after talking to you, John, and 1,300 plus people, Uh, It is the key, the secret sauce to a happy life. It really is.
0: Yeah. And I think the distinction between writing down a list of what you like doing versus writing down a list of what you're good at is important because like I I was good at running an automotive website. I had just done that for 10 years, but I didn't necessarily want to do that next. And I left that job for a reason. So he was really smart to zero in on like, like you've been doing something for so long and you're very good at it, but why don't you write down what you're, what, what is really bringing you joy to do in your life? And, and again, it doesn't have to be something that turns into a job. Just start writing the list, and, and it'll kind of lead you to where you need to, you need to go.
1: Golden nuggets of wisdom from John Neff today. I like it. Very <laughs> good. Very good. Well, let's uh, talk about your first really special vehicle, the first car you got that had great meaning for you in some way, maybe because you paid for it, maybe because you really loved it. Maybe it's something that you'd strived for for a long time, and maybe, if you would, share a special memory you have about that ride.
0: Sure, sure. So in, in high school, I had a lot of cars in a row that were like sub $1,000 cars, um, which I, I would buy them myself. I had a, I had a job in high school and I, I had some boring ones, like a couple of Volkswagen Jettas. And then uh, I think my fourth car was a 1984 Toyota Celica GT. And this and it had super wide fender flares It actually had the louvers on the back. Yeah. Um, it was so cool looking. And the, the one memory that sticks out was I was a junior in high school. And I was standing in the parking lot kind of near my car, but a group of younger kids walked by and I heard one of them say, you know, how sweet that car was. And it's kind of silly to be proud of that, but it does, it gives you kind of a rush and a sense of pride when people think your car is cool. And that was the first time that it happened to me. But I also, you know, now that I'm uh, so much older, I've also realized like, and, and I've owned a couple more kind of cool cars I've always wanted to own. It's also enough if just you think the car is cool, too. Like, I've owned cars where nobody thinks it's cool, but it makes me happy. <laughs> and that's that's great, too.
1: That's all that matters. I call it the look back. If you park your car and walk a few steps and turn and look back, oh. then you know you've picked the right car. Yeah, that's a great measure for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there a car you've owned that you've let go that you have a lot of seller's remorse over? not seller's remorse. Although,
0: you know, you ha- I do have a buyer's remorse one where and this this goes back to how much I research things before I buy. Uh my wife and I were looking for a car for her and we had I had researched for months and months and we found eventually found what we wanted, which was a, a 2012 Volkswagen Jetta Sportwagon TDI. So it was the diesel version. Uh, but we found it like seven hours away. So we kind of spontaneously hopped in the car we had and drove down. Uh, we were intending to buy it and we did. Although when we got there, it wasn't in, in as good a condition as we thought. We we drove it home and we drove it for like a week and and we were just kind of both unhappy with it I think because it wasn't in as good condition as we thought and and like we wanted this this was our our one car so I just decided after like a month like to start from scratch and and we we went back to kind of our our second choice and we went and bought a a brand new Kia Soul and traded that that Jetta in and it was the best decision we've had that soul for you know 5 years now and absolutely love it um so and that really taught me like don't like don't settle like you know if you know what you want and even if you make a mistake and buy something you just you know you find out that you don't want you know there's always time to change even if it feels like you you've passed that point so well you made
1: a 7 hour drive commitment that was a uh, hard commitment to walk away from I'll bet
0: It was, and and that was my my. And I don't be one
1: of the one of the mistakes. Probably, right? I don't want to.
0: I don't want to blame it on my wife, but 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 (laughs) no, don't do that, right? When we got down there, having invested seven hours and however much gas money, she was like, "I don't want to leave empty-handed." So I was like, you know, we thought, oh, it's good enough." And you know, the cars are important to me, and it's not. It's not enough to be good enough. Like I want it to be the car I want because it's such an intimate object in your life that you drive every day and it protects you and you have fun in it. So yeah, the soul uh that replaced it is is you know a member of the family now, so.
1: You know another thing I always say to people if they're going to go buy a car, especially if it's a toy collector car, but could be a other kind of car or daily used cars, is take a friend who can be somewhat objective and tell that friend when you get there Talk me out of this.
0: You know, that's funny. I I did that once, too, and that didn't work. The friend talked me out of it. (laughs) The friend liked it
1: so much he bought it. (laughs) No, I think he just saw how much I'd always wanted it. And he knew, like, no matter what I say, you're going to buy this. So (laughs) yeah, been there, done that for a few people. Usually what I have is friends' wives calling me saying, talk Bill out of this car he wants to buy on Bring a Trailer. Like, oh, man, this is a delicate line to walk. I got to keep them both happy. <laughs>
0: it's funny you mentioned Bring a Trailer. I, I did kind of something similar, but but worse than that. I had a friend who had uh, wanted to get into the business of writing about cars. And I introduced him to, to to the guys at Bring a Trailer. And he left his job and now writes for Bring a Trailer, which I think is much to his wife's chagrin. Like that was that was not supposed to be the result of that conversation. And he just took delivery of his first car that that was bought off the site as well. So very, very dangerous website.
1: Yeah, Randy Nannenberg was a very early guest of mine here. I need to have him back. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Pretty brilliant. When he was on the show, they were just launching their auctions, which had become super successful for them. I mean, yeah. yeah, big game changer. So uh, very cool. Well, I would love for you to talk a lot more about what has you excited and fired up these days with MotorOne.com. Explain to our listeners that maybe perhaps haven't visited the site, what they're going to see, what they're going to experience and what they can look forward to.
0: Sure. Uh, so Motor One is an automotive news and reviews website. So much like your, your motor trends and your current drivers, except we're, we're on the web only. So we publish uh, a lot of car news per day. Um, there's usually at least about 25 articles that are published per day on motorone.com. 25 a day? 25. A lot of news, at least one car review or first drive per day. Um, And then that number goes way up if an auto show is happening. So we go attend all of the auto shows around the world in person and write about every car and concept that debuts. Um, we do original video, all that stuff. And, you know, uh, we like to become a website that enthusiasts, but also also car shoppers find their way to and then can't help but coming back. Uh, and I'll tell you that what I'm most excited about right now is that we actually just started uh, our own podcast. We're we're six episodes in cool. uh, far from your 1300, but we're going to get there. <laughs> Keep the revs up to catch up. But <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, I get to host it and I'm just having having a ball doing it. And what's it called? Motor one dot com podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify and, you know, all the different places you uh, you get podcasts. Yeah. And it's just I, I we did a podcast at Autoblog uh, way back in the day. And I miss doing that so much because it's a much freer medium than yeah, than yeah. writing. Uh, because everything you write gets edited, gets flows through a few filters. And, and but when you're on a podcast, it's just a conversation. And and frankly, I find myself saying things I would probably never write and publish on the site. But it's just the flow of the podcast that takes goes wherever it wants. And so I'm having a great time doing that. And that's why I was so happy to come on, on this
1: podcast, because I, I love just talking to people. Well, it's cool. I wish you the best success with that. There's certainly a lot of fun I'll remind our listeners it's motor and then the number one dot com You should go check it out. In fact, I just turned your site onto my son. He's looking to buy a vehicle. He he had a car through high school and in college, um, and then went off to work in a big city in San Francisco and didn't really need a car there. So we sold his car, and now he's thinking about getting something. He, you know, he has some specific needs and. I was just talking to him the other day, and I said, I'm going to interview John Neff here from Motor One. You should check out their site because they have a lot of great reviews and things about cars, new cars in particular, that you can go and learn about. And he's the kind of guy that does a lot of research as well. So uh, when you're going to invest that kind of money in a vehicle, definitely very cool. Well, John, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah, sponsors that make this all possible. Hey fellow automotive enthusiasts, you know I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products since 1975, that's right, all the way back to my high school days. Want to keep your vehicle's exterior and interior looking new? It's easy with a Covercraft car cover. A car cover is the best way to keep your vehicle looking great for years to come. Car covers protect your paint from fallout, birds, dust, rain, insects, and pollen. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. I use my Covercraft car covers every single day. Right now, you can get 10% off all Covercraft custom car covers or their ready-fit car covers. Plus, they offer you over 15 quality fabrics to choose from. Their spring sale is from April 15th through June 16th, 2019. Order direct at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the cars yeah podcast and website contact me today and i'll show you how at mark at or connect with me through the cars yeah website at dot hey mark green here from cars yeah did you know you can now see me on the Carsia yeah! TV show, it's a weekly visit to some of my past Carsia yeah! podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Carsia yeah! TV is making its mark. Carsia yeah! TV is available on MAV TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find MAV TV on Direct TV, Fubo TV, FiOS by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas. Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. All right, John, we are back and I have a very introspective question for you. If you woke up tomorrow and John and F was a vehicle manifested into a car, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a car, what would John be and why?
0: So that's such a great question and, and a creative question. And I would be uh, one of my favorite cars of all time, which is the 1991 Ford Taurus SHO. And for those who don't know, it was, you know, everyone knows the Ford Taurus. It's a, you know, bland family sedan. But in the first generation of it, they had a performance version called SHO, which stood for super high output. And if you pop the hood on one of these things, uh, the engine inside was a piece of art. Uh, you could You could display it in your home and it would be just as beautiful there. But I like it so much, and and I think that that car represents me because it's very unassuming on the outside. I mean, it basically looks like a regular Taurus, but inside is this really you know powerful um, kind of fierce engine, and and the car can do a lot of things you wouldn't expect it. And I th- I look at myself like that sometimes. <laughs> like I could probably walk in a room and not be noticed, but at the same time, you know, if you give me if you give me ten years, I'll make the most popular we- car
1: website in the world. There <laughs> so, you go. I like that. Very well thought through. Very, very nice. Well, we are entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that Ford Taurus SHO engine. So here we go. <laughs> What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
0: Back out of your driveway slowly, and always make sure you're not going to hit anybody.
1: Oh yeah, I guess so. That's where those rearview mirror, rearview cameras, I should say, come in. Handy. Whenever I rent cars, my car is a little bit older, and I don't have one. And I rent these cars these days. They all have them. And I come home and I start backing my car up. I look at the dash. Where's the camera? Yeah, oh. exactly. Oh, so that, they're, an old car. They're, right. ni-
0: they're a nice crutch, but they're they're very useful.
1: Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years?
0: Um, I think one is not to listen to what everyone says you should do, but do what you think you should do. So if if you believe in your idea, you should find a way to do it to to see if it's right and not just do what everyone thinks you should do.
1: Ah, great advice. How about a great resource? Is there one out there you could share with us? You know, it's funny. I was trying to think of a car
0: one and I I thought of something car adjacent uh, because I'm really, I've really gotten into RVs and motorhomes and camper vans and and things like that. And Uh right, right now that's, that's morphed into tiny homes as well. And there's this great YouTube channel called tiny house, big living. And Uh they have, they have an episode a week and this guy does an incredible job interviewing people and showing how they build or design these tiny houses on wheels and what they do with them, where they travel. So um, I highly recommend checking that
1: out yeah i've watched that that is pretty cool i I love that too my father was an architect and growing up with an architect you're taught to really observe and look at things and he was always very creative especially with the house that he lived in that was a never-ending project he was always doing something building i think he'd get done and then go to the back of the house and start over again right just kind of the way you like to do it and of course i'll remind our listeners another great resource motorone.com of course Yes, that too. If I could sit down and arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, so you could sit and talk with them. Who would that be? So, my I, I don't know who the person is, but I am fascinated right now
0: by whoever is the the product manager for the Dodge Challenger, which is you know uh, Dodge's muscle car. And I've been fascinated with this product, and, and would love to meet whoever is is managing its development because it is it is so old and it is so outgunned by its competitors, the Mustang and the Camaro, but yet it is still so popular because whoever is is in charge. Of of it is making so many interesting decisions about how to keep it relevant and popular like throwing a 700 horsepower engine in it and giving it wide body fender flares and doing all this stuff i'm fascinated by how they've done so much with so little and i would love to have a conversation with them about what those meetings uh, were like five years ago when when they told him we're going to give you no money and we expect you to continue selling this car for another 10 years. And how he got got to where he's at, where the Challenger is now handily out selling the Camaro and, and catching up to the, to the Mustang. It's incredible.
1: Well, and especially in a big company like that, that uh, like you've experienced in the past or understand is all these suits that make decisions and higher ups that kind of squish all the design and the innovative thinkers many times in companies. So uh, yeah. yeah, we'll have to figure out who that is. If any of our uh, listeners out there know who that is, send me an email and uh, I'll connect him with John and we'll get him on this show. I think that'd be pretty cool. Just email me at marketcarsyeah.com. How about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy?
0: Yeah. So I have two, actually, if you'll permit me one. Of course. I'll, I'll,
1: I'll give you the one that's
0: not about cars first, but I think is a great book about indi- like certain industries. It's called uh, Console Wars by Blake J. Harris. And it's actually about the people who ran Sega of America which was a video game console company um in the in the 80s and 90s uh, and they were trying to take on Nintendo which was the biggest company you know uh you could imagine back then and so it, it's a story about kind of this ragtag group of people in an industry who took on a giant and and won but almost killed themselves doing it and then the second book is simply titled Car and it's by uh, Mary Walton and it's the story of when Ford redesigned the Tourist, uh, for its third generation that was somewhere in the mid 90s and if you got if you recall that generation of taurus had all these ovals and was kind of really strange it's really strange looking and it's basically a story about how um, this company because of kind of its old ways took a great thing and ruined it <laughs> you know and so it's kind of a tragic tale but it was it's kind of if you watch the auto industry and especially our domestic automakers and shake your head at some of the decisions they make this book shows you how they make those decisions how they how they kind of come to those poor decisions and follow through with them.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Well, both of those books have not been recommended, which I'm quite surprised from all the books that are recommended here. And I'll remind our listeners, you can go to the website, carsyad.com, and type in, or just actually go to the resources tab, and you'll see guest recommended books. And I'll link these books there, along with all the other well over a 1,000 books that our past guests have recommended here. All right, we are up to the checkered flag. This is the fun part, John, as if we're not already having a good time talking about cars. But this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet. But there's a couple rules to the game that make it a bit of a challenge. It's the only collector car you can have. You have to drive it. No garage queens allowed here on Cars, yeah. And you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. So that little clever trick is off the table. What can I buy you today?
0: So I'm going to choose the Jaguar XJ220. Which is a supercar again from the '90s. You can tell I, I I came of age in the '90s, and I chose it because if if a if you're going to pay for it, I do want it to be something expensive. So oh, well, thanks. It'll it'll <laughs> it'll cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars at least. At least, um, yeah. And and it was just it, I like I said, I was coming up in those times of the kind of a, a resurgence, resurging supercar market, and there was the Lamborghini Diablo, and there was the Ferrari F40, and I gravitated towards the this Jaguar XJ230 because honestly, I think it's one of the most beautiful cars ever designed. And it's modern enough that and and comfortable enough because, you know, the Ferrari and the Lamborghini were not ever considered comfortable cars in their day. But the Jaguar kind of was it was almost like a like a really powerful GT car. And yeah, I just think it's the most beautiful thing. I'm assuming I would have another car that I could take to the grocery store and like uh, Home Depot. But this this, is 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 your toy car. This is my toy car. This is the one I would drive to Cars and Coffee every weekend.
1: You know, that's a, a unique choice, and I'm surprised. I'm not sure anybody in the past has picked that car, maybe one or two uh, of all the guests I've had on the show. Uh, designed by Jim Randler and Keith Helfit. Um, that car, 3.5-liter engine, twin turbocharged, which was pretty cool, 550-plus horsepower, a um, lot of power behind that car. But you're right, it's very comfortable, I guess I should say. I've yeah, never I- had the pleasure of driving but I have set in one. I was I got inside oh, yeah. and went, whoa. This is kind of interesting. This is cool.
0: Yeah, I remember reading about it back when it was new and um, the the test driver was describing um, a top speed run and he said at 200 miles per hour, um, he had to turn the radio off because he couldn't. That, that's when he couldn't hear <laughs> the radio anymore. Oh my gosh. And I, the name XJ220, the 220 stands for what its top speed was supposed to be, which was 220 miles an hour. And I remember again, back, back in the day, uh, it never really reached that because they actually had to swap out engines the engines that they intended to use for the one they un- did end up using, so it only reached 211 miles per hour, but that was that was plenty to beat the Ferrari and the Lamborghini.
1: You know, if I remember right, that car had a really unique interior feature, and in that is there were some gauges on the door. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. So, so when side. you when you close the door, some of the gauges were over on the side panel of the door, which is very I'm like what? It's like they didn't have enough room on the dash or something. Uh, But there were some big vents there, I know, that probably kind of kept you cool. Maybe it was hot to drive. I don't know. But um, I just found that really interesting because I'd never seen that on a car before. Uh, It's kind of cool the way they wrapped it around, though. And everything was very smooth and uh, luscious, I guess I should say. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was like the,
0: it was like the luxurious supercar of the, of the day. And, and back then that had never really been done. I think supercars were more like beasts that were just had a a thin layer of leather on them to, you know, make them seem like they could be cars that were actually driven. But yeah, yeah, I think it was ahead of its time that way.
1: I think so. Even some of the supercars nowadays are, are beasts, if you will. Um, I call them short term cars because you have driving them for a little ways. You go, well, this was kind of a useless thing to buy. Right,
0: yeah, exactly. So,
1: yeah, so. Well, John, you've taken us on a great ride today. Really enjoyed getting to know you better. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Karsia yeah! audience. Could you offer us a little Parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that Jaguar XJ two twenty. <laughs> uh, sure, I, my the advice I I think the advice I try to live by is whatever
0: you do, uh, do it well. Whether you love it or hate it, you should do it well because how you do something says a lot about yourself to other people. And I always have my dad in my head telling me not to do things half ass. So I feel yeah. like I just can't do anything half ass because because he'll be in my head
1: yelling at me. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I got that same voice in my head as well. And what's the best way our listeners can learn more about you and Motor One? Well, definitely come to One dot
0: com. Um, that's where you'll find my writing as well as a writing of a lot of great editors and authors. And subscribe to the one dot com podcast um, if you want to hear me talk every week as well.
1: There you go. I think that sounds like a plan. Well, listeners, again, you can find everything John has shared on his very own Cars yeah, show notes page. Just go there, type in John Neff, N E F F, and that page will pop right up. John, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your many wonderful experiences with our listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. You take care of your cars.